Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, as you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, uh, last week we finished walking through the book of Ephesians. Um, So this morning, uh, we're going to spend some time answering questions about the Bible, the book of Ephesians, um, doing like a live Q&A. And as I said, I got a couple of questions from people. I'm going to answer those. If you have a question, feel free to kind of raise your hand or, um, and we'll have someone bring a mic to you. Or if you fill out a note card with your question, raise your hand. We'll have someone bring it up here uh, so you can get your questions answered. Um, I'm going to answer the ones I received and then stop periodically to see if you guys have questions. But just to give an overall, the book of Ephesians is really a very deeply spiritual book because it talks about salvation, what salvation is. We're going to dig into that a little bit because that was the first question uh, that I received. uh, And um, I received that. I'll get to it. But apparently it was one that I used to offend a lot of people. But uh, it talks about salvation, what that is, what that means. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't know. So uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he kind of spells it out. Uh, It talks about sanctification, which is kind of like a big spiritual word, but it really just means the process where Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, allows us to look more and more and more like him, uh, how the Bible says we're being transformed into the image of God's Son. Uh, But then it talks about holy living. How do you live this out? Like, how do you treat your family and coworkers and all that stuff? So um, we walk through all of that, but uh, since it's such a spiritual book, I like to do, like I said, Q&A in case I missed something or you had a question that wasn't answered during the sermon. Uh, If no questions come in, that's fine, because I assume that means I did okay in preaching through the book, and you understand everything that we were talking about. But this first question um, is one, I get it I get it regularly, not just about the book of Ephesians, but uh, I get it from online people, I get it people that message me about it, I get people that will send me a video saying, hey, this is what this says, is that true, and all kind of stuff. And that's this question of, is baptism required for salvation? I don't know if anyone's ever heard that, and, and <clears throat> here's the thing, it's not. But some people think it is. And here's, this isn't just me speculating, right? Because if baptism were required, and I'll show you the verses that show you why it's not. I'll also show you the ones why some people think it is. But if it were required, what that would mean is you as an individual or me, we look and say, wow, I accept that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I step across the line of faith and believe it. And I say, now, God, am I a part of your kingdom? And he says, no, hold that thought. Let's find some water. But since it's kind of cold outside, unless you want to go polar bear diving, we'll schedule the rest of your acceptance into the kingdom for like June, when it's warm. Because that's what it would mean, right? It wouldn't be just you believe and you step across the line of faith. You'd have to wait and find water 
and be baptized. And so when someone asks you, hey, um, are you a part of God's kingdom? No, but I have my application in. And soon as the pools open up, me and God are right there. That, that's what that would mean. But I understand, and I'm not trying to belittle people. Uh, a lot of this is because of bad teaching from the pulpit, right? Uh, so this is one of the reasons why Paul spells it out in Ephesians. But a lot of people look at verses like this, and it makes them think that it's required. Because this is, this is from the Gospel of Mark, right? Mark was written 20 to 25 years before Matthew. So this was the first kind of gospel that the early church would have heard. So uh, it says in Matthew 16, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So people look at that sentence and say, oh, it's required. He doesn't say it's required. Now, because he makes it crystal clear, he names, if you believe and are baptized, it's a true statement. You will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. If baptism were required, then he would have to say whoever does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. But he doesn't. The believing is what saves you. Right? Then uh, people also look at this verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Uh, and this is Peter sharing the gospel, Acts chapter 2, like after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and shared the gospel with all these people, and after he shares it, uh, people say, hey, what should we do in response to this message that you just shared? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's all true, absolutely true. If you do that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But nowhere does he say it's required and this is why we kind of have to look at all of Scripture in context, right? Because then people walk out and come up with these denominational beliefs uh, that don't align with Scripture, and it causes some people to kind of be led astray. That's why some people, I got two messages like this past week from people saying, hey, I'm not sure if I'm saved because I haven't been baptized yet. And so we walk through, here's, here's what the Bible says. And here's the thing, when you look at, and the Bible has many examples, people experiencing salvation, getting saved, putting their faith in Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament, right? Many people doing it. Nowhere do you see a single person who gets baptized and then is told, now you're saved, now you're a Christian, now God accepts you. You do see people experience salvation, and then they get baptized. So, <clears throat> excuse me, let me share two instances with you. Because this is the first one many people go to, like, hey, you don't need to be baptized in order to experience salvation. The thief on the cross, right? How many people remember that? Normally don't hear about him until Easter. That's when people talk about him. Uh, but here's, here's what happened. <clears throat> um, so he's on the cross with Jesus. Uh, one's insulting Jesus, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's referring to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, he knows that Jesus isn't going to get down from the cross and start a kingdom. So he's putting his faith 
in Jesus have, having a godly kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And he says, remember me when you come into it. Jesus responds, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise, dot, 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 as long as we find somewhere to baptize you. Right? That, that's not what it says. Because it's not required. And there are people who will say, well, this is an exception. And I would agree with that, except if you find one instance of something, it's an exception. But if you find multiple instances, it's not an exception, it's a pattern. And so there's a pattern throughout the Bible of people experiencing salvation without being baptized. Last one before we move on. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 10, one of my favorite accounts in all of Scripture, right? Uh, there's a guy named Cornelius. Uh, he believes in God, trusts God, but he doesn't know God. So God says, hey, Peter, go talk to him. God has to do some work in Peter because he's a different ethnicity. He's a different religion. He's a different race, all that. God has to do some work in Peter. Peter shows up at his house and says, you know, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't even step into your house because you're so different from me. But Peter does go into his house, and Peter finds this guy, Cornelius, because he believes, okay, God told me to have this guy. He invites his family, he invites his friends, he invites his co-workers. So there's a house full of people. Peter starts telling them the gospel. He starts talking about Jesus, and he says, I know you guys can't see it because of the screen, but he says that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish people who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles because they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The speaking in tongues is not the only sign that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but it is a sign that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and God fills people with the Holy Spirit once they believe, once they experience salvation. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So they experienced salvation. They heard the word. They believed it. God looked and said, oh, you believe, you believe, you believe. You get the Holy Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit, you get the Holy Spirit. And then after they experienced salvation... Peter said, we need to baptize these folks. So baptism, it is a command. It's not a requirement, which is why in the book of Ephesians, which we walked through weeks ago, or when we walked through this part weeks ago, Paul says, talking to the church in Ephesus, you also were included in Christ. You became members of the body of Christ when you heard the message of truth, just like the folks in Cornelius' house, the gospel of your salvation, what Peter was preaching to them, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So he doesn't mention the word baptism once because that's not a part of the requirement. Once you believe and you step across the line of faith, then God says, okay, you're part of my family. And to make sure that you know that, he gives you his Holy Spirit. Right? I hope that, that, that makes sense to everyone. Uh, and before I move on to the next question, does anyone in the room have any questions or uh, 
anyone online checking any questions? No, 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 no. Okay, <clears throat> so the next question uh, that I had was, well, actually, <laughs> I have to go back. The very first question we got, and it wasn't a question, it was more of a suggestion, is we need more gourds. So I only had one, so it's over there on the table. Was that Jack's? Okay, all right. So there's one over there on the table. That was the best I could do. So, okay. But the next question I got was one that someone submitted online. And, and that was, um, they said, recently I always thought the role of church planner would be like, and I, I think they meant the role of church planner would be like the role of an apostle described in Ephesians 4.11, would I be correct? Because there are people who go around today and call themselves apostle. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone do that, call themselves apostle this or that. There's a lot of people that do that online. Here's, here's and this is, a, this is a big thing, and this is why so many people get offended, because if you're the person calling yourself an apostle, and someone else tells you, biblically, you're not, they're going to get offended. Now, my initial response to him was this, was like, in the sense that apostles did what church planners today do, um, uh, in the rest of the verses, in, in what he referenced in Ephesians chapter 4, yeah, they're the same. And to bring us all in the context, uh, I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> so here's what it says. It says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Right? So this is Paul writing and saying that Christ created and gave these positions for the church. Now, here's the thing. Uh, he created the position of apostles, but there were some people called apostles, and we'll get into that, but they weren't in a religious context. He created the prophets. Prophets are in the Old Testament, uh, which means that, yeah, those prophets were sent by Jesus. And Jesus even says, like, all of the books in the uh, Old Testament, all the prophets, they point to him. Evangelists, pastors who shepherd the flock, teachers who teach the flock. Uh, Paul says all of these were sent and created by God to equip God's people for works of service so that we could serve, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And the reason why we don't have unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God is because we don't have a lot of people filling these roles in a God-honoring way. We have people teaching whatever they want, teaching different things. Uh, but he specifically said um, the reason God created these, Jesus created these positions and gave them to the church, is so then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Because there are some people using the scriptures to teach deceitful things, to teach unbiblical things. Uh, but the pastors, the teachers, the apostles, the evangelists, and the prophets, those roles were created by Jesus to teach and equip the church so we would all be on the same page because we're all reading from the same book. And I hear that from so many people, and you may too, that, oh, well, if the Bible is true and there's only one Bible and there's only one God, why are there so many different, different denominations? Because there are so many different people, as Paul points out, teaching different things that aren't from God. But here's, here's, here's the problem with this. So in a sense, there are apostles. Um, there are um, 
church planters, I wouldn't call them apostles, who do the same thing. They plant churches, uh, they create, you know, uh, roles, and, and, and they support evangelists because they go in the communities and try to build the church uh, just like the apostles did, right? Uh, but here's, here's, here's the problem I have with this. The Greek word apostolos for apostles, it means a messenger, one sent forth with orders, and there were apostles from kingdoms and all that stuff. But from the church aspect, it's a special messenger of God, someone who was sent by God with a message from God to the people of God. And every single apostle in the Bible, except one, was handpicked by Jesus. Every single apostle in the Bible, except one, had an impact on the church, and we hear about them throughout the Bible. Now, some of us don't even remember the name. I had to look it up. I'm going to be honest. I had to look it up. Matthias was the guy who the apostles chose to replace Judas once Judas died. His name was Matthias, and they did it by lot. So they sat around, the 11 apostles, they said, hey, uh, we got to complete this. You know, Jesus picked 12 of us, now there's 11 of us. So they kind of made the decision that, hey, we're going to pick someone who's been with us this whole time uh, and, and who knew Jesus. And so they did it by casting lots and, and like drawing straws. I don't know. I'm not saying that he wasn't an apostle, but I don't know that that was the best choice. Because then Jesus went out and said, you know what, I'm going to pick Paul. And hand-picked Paul showed up and said, Paul, you've been chosen, right? Knocked him off his horse, blinding light, blinded him the whole night, and then specifically sent someone to heal him, to tell him that, hey, you are going to go with a special message from me to kings and governors and royalty. And that's what he did. So nothing against Matthias, but other than when they picked him, you never hear his name again in scripture. So the requirements for an apostle was one, perform miracles. Because you're sent by God to show people that you're here from God. You do miracles of God. Uh, they were handpicked by Jesus and they confirmed God's word. So it's hard for me today, right, to accept when I hear humans saying, yeah, I'm an apostle. My first thought is, one, according to who? Like, who told you that? And I don't know, maybe God did. But then I'm also thinking, how are you confirming that to people? Because every apostle did it by performing miracles. Even Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, is called an apostle. Right? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. They acknowledge him as an apostle because he was sent from God, he performed miracles, and he had a message from God. So it's hard for me, again, um, to accept people who say I'm an apostle without specifically showing, well, what were you sent to confirm? Because we know the word of God is true. I mean, at that time, they didn't. Word of God, the New Testament wasn't even written, only the Old Testament. And so they went there to show, hey, yeah, a lot of this Old Testament, it points to Jesus, just like Jesus said. 
like Paul writes in all of his letters, Peter writes. Uh, so my question to them is, what's the message that God is sending you to confirm if we already believe this? Is it possible that God will still call someone today and have them be an apostle? It's possible. I'm just one of those skeptics who say, you got to show me, because here's what the word says. That's what I'm going to go by uh, before I accept uh, what anyone else says. So um, you got to show me. And I'm not like, hey, you know, go David Blaine and show me some magic or whatever. But I mean, if you're claiming to be an apostle, this is what the apostles did. They performed miracles. They were handpicked by Jesus, and they were sent to confirm God's word. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to judge people. I'm just telling us, hey, we should go back to the word of God before we accept what other people say. All right? So before I move on, any other, any other questions in the room? Okay. So this last one, um, I think we have time for it. Uh, this last question, probably the most important one, um, and it's probably one that many people will resonate with, and that was, how do you know that you are where God wants you to be, right? How do you know that this thing I'm doing is the thing that God wants me to do, and I know that this is where God wants me, I'm doing what God wants me to do, I'm on that right path. Uh, there are two realms of thought to this regarding the answer to this question, and I'm not trying to confuse anyone, but for me, I just always like to be honest, right? So the first is only God knows, so only God can answer, right? I can't come if, like, Karen says, how do I know I'm doing what God wants me to do? I can't answer that unless God tells me, because otherwise I have no idea. And my thinking is, if God's going to tell me, he can probably tell you, right? I can't answer that. I could make something up, but that's probably not going to help you. So the best recourse is to ask God. That's like if you work in a company, and I don't know, you probably had this happen, and you're like, I wonder if the, the manager or the CEO or the supervisor, if they think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing if I'm getting it right, and you ask the person who's working on the line with you, that's not the person to ask. The person to ask is the person above you who put you in that position. That's the person to ask. That's the person who can say, yes, you're doing it, or nope, you're a little bit behind everyone else, or you know what? You're right on track. I have, I have nothing but good things to say about the path you're going on. That's the person to ask. Now, that's one aspect. That's, that's the most honest. Here's the other thing. Um, only God knows, but we can guesstimate. I said estimate, but we can guesstimate if we're on the right track, right? We can kind of uh, get some clues about, am I doing the right thing, and I'm doing, am I on the path that God wants me to be, or have I strayed, and I'm doing something else, right? Uh, and the first thing is this. So if you're doing something you're passionate about, and it brings you joy, and it brings God glory, you might be where God wants you to be. And hear that in my best Jeff Foxworthy voice. If you don't know who that is, don't worry about it. But then you might be where God wants you to be, right? So if you're doing something you're passionate about, like I enjoy doing this, this is, I'm, 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 I'm you know what? Even if I don't get paid for doing this, I'm still going to do it because I'm so passionate about it. 
and I enjoy it. It's not just I'm passionate about it because there's some things we're passionate about that, eh, I can take it or leave it, right? But if you're passionate about it and it brings you joy and it's bringing God glory, then you might be where God wants you to be. I can go so far as to say you're probably not wrong. You're probably on the right track. You're doing something that God has probably equipped you to do, which is why you're passionate about it and why you enjoy it, and it brings God glory. And I use the word joy because joy is different from happiness. We can get happiness from a lot of things that aren't from God. True joy comes from God. There's a difference, right? Now, that's number one. There's two more. Here's the other thing. <clears throat> if you're doing something you're not passionate about, but you don't hate it, and it brings God glory, you might be where God wants you to be. You could be doing something, and this usually applies to like where we're at work, right? So if you're in a job you're not passionate about, but you don't hate it. It's not like I get up looking forward to go do this every morning, but I don't hate it. But while I'm there, I do things that bring God glory. I happen to tell my coworkers about jobs. I'm not the one who complains about everything and talks bad about people. I'm the one who brings positivity to the workplace. I'm the one who happens to tell people, and, and even though they don't know it, I pray for them when I hear they're going through struggles, and then encourage them when they're coming out of it, and just tell them you might want to consider that maybe God did that for you. So you're not passionate about it but you don't hate it, but you're still bringing God glory, you might be where God wants you to be. And here's the last one. If you're doing anything regularly and consistently for the Lord and it brings God glory, you might be where God wants you to be. It's not like God's going to say, you're consistently doing this thing over and over for me that brings me glory. Stop it. Probably not going to happen. You may not be on a path. You may be doing something, and he's like, but I wanted you to you know, be a worship leader, but instead you're out you know, feeding the homeless and praying with them or whatever. Again, we have to go back to God, but if you're doing anything regularly and consistently for the Lord and it brings God glory, you might be where God wants you to be. But the key is always to ask God. So I'm going to ask us to stand, unless there's any other questions really quick. Okay, no one, no, none online, no for you guys, none. Right. Okay, so I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I want to pray for all of us. Because this is something I ask God regularly. Because even though I'm like, yeah, I'm sure God wants me to be a pastor. I'm sure this is where he wants me to be. I ask God regularly, but am I doing what you have called me to do? Am I doing it in a way that makes you happy and brings you glory and brings you honor? Um, am I doing what you want, right? And every pastor, and this is, this, is, this is something we struggle with, every pastor wants to be the pastor of 100, 200, 500,000 people, and sometimes God is like, you see those 17 people over there? They're the ones that need you. You see those 22 people over there or 40 or whatever? They're the ones that need you. They're the ones that need you to shepherd them. They're the ones that need your teaching. So I regularly go back, and I'll share this. I know I asked you guys to stand so we could pray, but I'll share this quickly. Um, and I regularly go back, <clears throat> not quite as often, because when God brought us here, uh, my first question was like, are you sure, God? Because, you know, there's a lot of racial tensions in this area. And those of you who don't agree with me, that's okay. Wait until something racial happens 
out in the nation and then look online and you'll see it pop up. But a lot of racial tension in this area. I was like, this may not be the best place for a black pastor married to a white woman, especially one from Philadelphia, because that caused a lot of uproar. But <laughs> I was like, is this really where you want to, I mean, downtown Pittsburgh where there's diversity, that might be great. Any other community uh, over in Clareton where there's uh, more African-American people, that might be great. And God keeps saying, this is where you're supposed to be. And even though I hear that from him, every now and then I go back and ask, hey, God, are you sure this is where you want me to be? And it's not that I don't love you guys, don't want to be here. I just want to make sure I'm doing what God has called me to do. And that's something that each and every one of us should pray for. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head. God, we pray that each and every one of us are willing to truthfully seek you and ask you and be willing to accept your answer if we are where you want us to be. Are we doing the things that you called us to do? Are we ministering to the people that you called us to minister to? Are we loving people in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, uh, in our circles of influence, the way that you want us to? Are we being the church that you have called us to be, to the people that you have called us to be it to? And we pray that we are willing to accept your answer because we are your people and we want to live by your word. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, 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 amen.